Hey table friends, uh, my name is Mike Kanjan. I had the privilege of preaching for you last year during COVID. And as you are preparing to go back to in-person worship, uh, Brad has asked me to uh, give one of the messages that I preached in the last couple months. It is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's really an invitation to know Jesus, which is kind of what we're all about at our church. Uh, I hope you're blessed in your return to in-person worship. I'm thankful for the table. And uh, not only do you have the coolest pastor in the PCA, but you now have the two coolest pastors in the PCA with Bryce. And I am honored to, in this strange, far away way, be connected to your story. God bless you as you make your entrance. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, uh, the music, the, the praises, the worship have been beautiful. We thank you. We thank you that, that you are here. And we pray that you, by your spirit, will speak the gospel into our lives in spite of the sins and insecurities of the one who delivers it, the message, that we may know you. Father, we long to know your delight we thank you that you delight over us with singing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this past week, there was an op-ed in the New York Times by a woman named Lindsay McGoey, who uh, five years ago wrote a book about the Bill and uh, Melinda Gates Foundation. And, and the, the premise of her book was to be careful from where you receive uh, donations because sometimes there is a cost involved. And now five years later, actually six years later, but last year the media outlets began to study a little more carefully the, the, the foundation. And what they discovered was that there was as much giving as there was also deal-making. And that uh, they and some of the recipients of their, their, uh, their, their funds have made billions off of those, some of it in big pharma. Uh, and her point was that the world's problems will never be solved by someone who profits off of the solutions. That makes sense. Our series on the uh, Sermon on the Mount is coming to a close. Uh, there have been some diversions as we have gone through COVID. Uh, even today as we were singing, I get to see some faces I hadn't seen live and in person for a long time. And uh, didn't expect to be wearing a sweater again until uh, September, but uh, but it's been a it's been a, a beautiful and long journey. And today uh, we we close out before next week, uh, along with the other pastors, as we like to do, sharing a series on the parables of Jesus. Uh, Paul McCartney once said that once you get the big idea for a song, writing the rest of it is easy. I'm sure that was easy for him to say because he was one of the Beatles. But uh, when we began uh, this, mess, this series, I said that this was, in my opinion, the greatest sermon ever preached and that we were going to study it. Now, I'll tell you as an aside, I don't know if Carla Cameron's here, but she came up to me after church and said, you know, at first I thought you were bragging about your message, and then I realized you were talking about Jesus's. But, but, uh, 
I just think it's an amazing message. It's revolutionary. It's countercultural. Uh, who else uh, says that their kingdom is not about gaining but losing? Uh, it's not about gaining an advantage. It's not about pressing an agenda. Who else in the world would teach that we're to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek when we are struck on one or to give without expecting a return and without exploiting the other? Jesus taught all this and more. It's really astonishing. I don't know if you know one of our members, Joanne Shepherd, but she is astonished with Jesus. And recently she shared with the elders and deacons and deaconesses of our church a story uh, of how recently it works. She works at the oldest blacksmith in the country, and it's in Baltimore. One day, in fr- uh, recently, a few weeks ago, in front of their store, there was a woman lying unconscious. It's, it's in one of the roughest areas of the city. This woman's lying unconscious, and she's not breathing. She, she had overdosed on drugs. So they called 9-11, and uh, 9-11 told them that somebody had to administer uh, CPR, but nobody stepped forward to do it, so Joanne did. Joanne went up to this stranger, and she administered CPR, and at some point the woman began to breathe again, and it saved her life. And as they took her away, all she could think of, and she told us through tears, was that this woman whose name she didn't even know would somehow meet Jesus. How astounding. More than anything, we desire for you to know Jesus. That's what we want here. Members and visitors will come and go. Ministers will come and go. We want you to know Jesus. One day, uh, you're going to be old, and, and, and your days on this earth are going to pass. And everything that's gone before you will be secondary to this. Did you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's what we desire for you. More than giving to the church, more than joining the church, more than the activities of the church, all of which we think are really important, we have no greater joy than for you to meet Jesus and find that our deepest longings and desires are found in Him. That we could lose everything and it would be devastating, but even after we've lost everything we have, we have everything in Him. How astonishing. Maybe you're here and you're searching because something is missing. We've had that happen here where people came and said, I didn't know you knew what was going on in my life. And I'm thinking, I don't even know you. And well, what happened? God visited them. Maybe you are searching because something is missing. Don't give up. God put you on that search. And maybe perhaps you're a believer who has been feeling empty and, and a little dry in your faith and unastonished with what you know is astounding about Jesus. Don't lose heart, friend. God has not forgotten you. Matthew opens verse 28 of our passage. It would have been easy to tack these verses on the last week, but there's something in this, and it's really powerful. Matthew opens verse 28 in the way that he, word for word, opens three other passages throughout his, uh, his, his gospel, or f- uh, four other passages. Five times he does this, and in each case, Jesus has finished the teaching, and then he goes on to it within the narrative of his ministry and life. And, and, and he, he, he continues on. And that word for finished, where, it's, where Matthew says that when Jesus finished, that word for finished, I'm going to give you some nerd information here, you know, as Christian minister type nerd information. That word for finished is in what is called the aorist tense, 
which, which means that it comes with the idea of completion for now. In other words, Jesus finished for now, and he moved on with his life. Maybe he went to another town. Maybe he got into a boat. Maybe he got out of a boat, whatever it might be. It meant that he finished. He finished that for now. But then when you get to the cross and he cries out, it is finished to, to those who are watching when he dies, he uses the same word, but he uses what's known as the perfect tense. And the perfect tense means that an action is done forever. And I find that to be greatly encouraging. Be encouraged, friend. No one experience defines you other than the cross of Jesus. When Jesus is at work in, in you, he won't stop until he has made you whole. That's what Paul means in Philippians 1.6 when he says that, that he is confident that God who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you belong to Jesus Christ, then each experience in your life is part of a larger story that Jesus is spinning you into. And one day, you will be finished. Because Jesus has ensured that it is finished. That word astonished means to be astounded or amazed. As you can imagine from the title and what I've already said, that's kind of a focus here. Throughout his ministry and life, observers were astonished with Jesus. His teachings, his knowledge, his miracles. He amazed worshipers. He amazed disciples. He amazed hometown folks. He, had, he amazed the crowds. He even amazed his own parents with what he knew. Even now, when you meet Jesus in God's word, it is astonishing. You will be astonished to learn that your sins are not powerful enough to withstand God's grace. You will be astonished to know that God's mercy is greater than all of your failures combined. You will be astonished to find that he sees and exposes you not to condemn, but to forgive, not to diminish, but to heal. That's what happened in John 4 when Jesus met with this woman who was at the well and she's engaging him and she's talking, you know, she's trying to school the God of the universe on religion without knowing who he is. And all the while, her life has been a complete mess. Everything she ever wanted fell apart relationally. And in fact, she's not even married to the guy that she's with. But Jesus just patiently listens to her. He, he gives her dignity by engaging with her. And when she leaves, after he's told her the truth of her life, peacefully, graciously, when she leaves, she goes back and tells an entire town that he told me everything that was true about my life. That's astonishing. Have you ever been in church, as I said before, and you heard the preacher stumble through something and, and preaching his message, and, and you're like, how did, how did that get to me? Well, that's the work of God. That's Jesus working in you by his Spirit. Then in verse 29, we, we see the reason for the astonishment that he caused, and that it was that unlike the, the scribes and the leaders, the religious leaders of his day, Jesus spoke out of his own authority. Back then, scribes never used, uh, said anything original. It wasn't their job. They, they had no authority. They, were, they, only, they only cited sources outside of themselves, and they constantly quoted others. But unfortunately, by then, all had to do with the law, the Old Testament law. But unfortunately, by then, the law had been warped, 
And, 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 and it wasn't what it was supposed to be to the people of God. And it became very oppressive uh, as a religious, almost a weapon, religious, a religious weapon that they would wield over the people of God. And sadly, we see versions of this in the church today. Traditions held too dear, rules that aren't really rules. Um, how, how can we be encouraging when this is the case and how we treat others in our lives, in the church, and in the world. Jesus' words were filled with grace and truth. They were life-giving. They, they, they were living and active, as the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, and the religious leaders didn't like this for a reason. It threatened them. The reason they didn't like it was that Jesus was the big idea. Jesus was the big idea from which the entire song of redemption was written. They were threatened because those who would follow Jesus would no longer look to them for what had oppressed them and wasn't enough from them. Jesus was the means by which all blessing and beauty and goodness and recreation flowed. And it came out in his teachings. It was so obvious that it was of them. Now, they were upset. In Mark eleven eighteen, we read that they heard it and were um, seeking a, a, of Jesus' teachings and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. They couldn't fight his authority so that, or his, his popularity, so they attempted to undermine Jesus' credibility by challenging his authority. And in Matthew 21, 23, we read this as, the, as they, they said, by what authority do you say these things and who gave you this authority? So they began to undercut the authority of Jesus or try to undermine it. And, uh, and it was because there, there, were, there, there was no room for them if Jesus was who he claimed to be. And their version of the law couldn't stand or last against the kingdom of God's grace. But astonishment isn't enough. Because the truth is that many in this crowd and other crowds that loved Jesus and followed him would soon be crying out for his execution, right? They were astonished, and then they were disappointed, and then they cried for his execution. They were in awe of his miracles and of his teachings. They listened in synagogues and at sea and on the, on the mountainside. They ate bread and fish that he multiplied. They saw him raise the dead, but they didn't believe. And this is why C.S. Lewis says that Jesus can't be defied, divided by his, his assertions. That either he is who he says he is, or he's crazy, or he's lying. But he can't be separated from his teachings. And that's what they were trying to do, to separate Jesus from his teachings. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps right now you are holding out on Jesus. You love the astonishment. You cherish the promises. You want them to be true. And deep down, you actually believe that they are. But you are resistant to surrender. You're resistant to give to him the lordship that he is due for fear that following him will cost you. Or maybe you're a believer who has been far from God and have defied his rule in your life for a season 
because of things you don't want to give up, a regret you haven't surrendered, a lifestyle you won't walk away from, a sin you refuse to relinquish, a time of pain that you're unwilling to revisit, a dream that you don't want burst, a reputation you're unwilling to lose, a relationship you're afraid to strain. So you live in the simmering dissatisfaction of knowing that you don't have what you are constantly lunging for, but you're afraid to let go and trust in the Lordship of Jesus. And yet still, he invites you to follow him. And astonishingly, in following him, you begin to bear his resemblance of, as Paul says in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's what I love about Joanne's story. It isn't just that she literally, physically breathed life into this woman's body. It isn't just that she didn't know this woman. It isn't just that she uh, testified to this and in tears as we're all holding them back. It is that she so resembled her Savior in giving without expecting anything in return. Astonishing. Consider this. Perhaps the most astonishing thing about Jesus is in how unremarkable he became. Have you ever thought about that? We talk about it at Christmas to some degree. The God who hurled the stars into the sky and the space and breathed life into every living being, this astounding, eternal, almighty, glorious God became pedestrian. He became the no-name. He became the one that no one could recognize. He became the one that no one assumed to be the king of the universe. He became the one that would be the, the, the sentenced and judged and, 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 and unjustly executed criminal. He became like that. Unlike a flawed foundation, Jesus didn't exploit weakness for riches. He exchanged riches for poverty to breathe life into us and make us his. And now... The resurrected Jesus, with blood-stained, with blood-scarred hands and feet inside, invites you to himself. What he wants you to do is trust him. To believe that, that what he has done once for all will always be enough rather than every pursuit that ultimately, that we put our whole life into, our whole heart into, our whole, our whole hope into, will eventually disappoint so that you can even enjoy those things that he allows by serving him. He invites you. He died for you. He rose for you to make you his. What good news. This is the gospel. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that you have come in time and space, that, uh, that, you, that you came pedestrian rather than gloriously, and in that there is glory. We praise you for just put, setting aside all that you deserved in order to give us all that you offer through your sacrifice your death, your resurrection, and we praise you. So Lord, as Joe prayed a few minutes ago, if there's anybody in here who does not know you, we pray that today will be the day of your salvation where in faith and maybe a little bit of fear, 
they flee to you and find that as Lord, you will never rule them in cruelty, unkindness, or destruction. That you will, that you will never disappoint their deepest needs. That you will always come through as their God. And for those who know you, but maybe have drifted because they're going through a season of sadness or, or, or lethargy in the faith, we pray that you would restore our astonishment because truly, Jesus, you are the ast astonishing one, and we praise you in your name. Amen.